it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and that's what we're here to do, talk about beer and the brewing industry and have a conversation with the people who make the industry what it is and see what we can learn from them. This week, we speak with Evan Cranny, National Sales and Export Manager at Bright Brewery, and we can certainly learn a lot from him. I timed this interview with Evan as he was recently elected to the board of the IBA, and I was very interested in learning a little bit more about that and why you would make the decision to take yourself out of your day job to contribute to the industry. But with beer being a conversation, we found a few other things that we ended up discussing first. Evan has well over a decade's experience selling craft beer, culminating in his current role, and we discussed the way that craft beer has changed and evolved over that time including Evan's interesting thoughts that this segment may have been harmed with the overuse of the word craft. Many people may have found it alienating. We also discuss business growth and how a local brewery maintains a brand as it looks to broader markets, including export markets, but also how this broad distribution squares against ideas of sustainability. It's a great conversation that I very much enjoyed and I hope you do too. Evan Cranny, welcome to Beer is a Conversation. Thank you for having me. Now, I did just have that, <laughs> I don't know if it came across, but I had that pause, having checked that it is Cranny, not Craney, um, even though the spelling is open to interpretation. It is, it is. I did mention that you were the first person in my life to get it right first go, so quite impressive. Welcome to Beer is a Conversation. As, uh, as I said in the intro, uh, you are a very impressive uh, title. You are the National Sales and Export Manager for Bright Brewery. Um, of course, you weren't born that way, but you've had a long career in the brewing industry, and uh, as much as I hate the expression, it's, y- y- your job history has almost been exclusively as a booze slinger. Uh, yeah, I have grown up in the liquor industry, which uh, it's confronting when I think about it, but I've never worked in anything else as well, so yeah. Clearly, there's a lot to talk about because your first job on your LinkedIn profile is as a head bartender at the Firehouse in September 2011 or 2011. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it has been a long, you, you, you've, you've worked as a store and social media manager for uh, <laughs> the unfortunately named Low Buy Liquor. Um, yep. Sales and social media manager for Heron Tower Beverages, and there's, there'll be some interesting chats coming out of that. But it's all always been a sales marketing manager, you know, for coming up 13 years. You, mm-hmm. you would have seen a huge change over the industry, but what got you into, what's kept you in the, um, you know, the, 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 the liquor industry, and particularly the beer industry? Big question, I guess. Uh, realistically, as we said at the start, um, I've been doing this my whole career, and I started, uh, fortunately, I grew up in the Yarra Valley um, in Victoria, so a very prominent wine region. Uh, The school that I went to was uh, a lot of family winemakers that had grown up through that. A lot of my friends had um, wineries, so I had access, I guess, at the time to some really quality alcohol, not that I would have been drinking that um, at the time or had a respect for it. Uh, (laughs) 
And then as, as life sort of went on, I was, I was fortunate to fall into roles. So things like the Firehouse was a, a very upscale restaurant in a not very upscale area of Melbourne at the time. It's now gentrified and it's actually a lovely area. Um, but yeah, sort of fell into that job when I was 19, 20. Um, we had a sommelier. It was the first sommelier I ever met. 600 bottle wine list, more spirits than you can count. Um, actually, the place I sold my first craft beer. So they had Stonewood Pacific Ale and um, Two Birds Sunset. And I still remember that vividly. had no idea... That would be my future uh, trajectory in the industry. But from there, fell in love with craft beer um, through the retail side of things when I went and worked at, as you said, Low Buy Liquor, which was an unfortunately named business. Uh, Particularly for craft beer. It's it's a weird one. So uh, Low Buy had been around for about 15 years by the time I'd gotten there. They had done a smattering of good beers. It was actually a very high-quality store. Um, and it was, a, it was a play off a name of another local uh, supermarket chain, but when I got there, we, we sort of the craft beer market was starting to kick off. I think it was about 2010, realistically. Um, and you know, what started with a, a fluttering interest in some of the, the fun things that were sort of coming about became over the course of about a year, ranging 450 beers. And um, we were hosting private dinners and uh, we were getting in weekly growler fills from um a growler specialist in South Yarra in Melbourne, which is about an hour away. And we just, we kind of got on the train early and were fortunate enough that we had a consumer base that was really interested. And I guess that your, your listeners are probably very similar to me. And once you get in, you're hooked. Uh, there's a lot of fun in craft beer. It, it, I've never experienced anything else. And a lot of friends of mine who aren't in the industry often critique or sort of comment, sorry, that um, their jobs aren't like my job. Um, in the level of sort of crazy stories you have, but the the fun and the interest and the uh, movement around things, it's it's not the same every day. And it has been evolving so rapidly over the course of the past decade that the experience that we're having 10 years ago versus what we are now are completely different, but it's meant that I've had such a broad career already, um, in my opinion anyway, and I've seen a lot of things and I've been really fortunate to, I guess in my own feelings, to have been able to be a part of this journey so early on. I feel like I've got a rich history simply because I've been able to be a part of it for such a, a great time frame and it's sort of starting point. It's interesting because a lot of people talk about what a great industry it is to work in and there is something that's very desirable about it. You know, we, we, we're, we're working with beer and we're working with <laughs> great people by and large. But at the same time, it's an industry that both mines passion and relies on passion mm-hmm. for it. And the, the, the craft brewing segment of the industry particularly was one that was kicked off by people wanting to do something different and wanting mm-hmm. to change beer. Um, have, 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 do, you, do you feel that there is the same level of passion for craft beer that there was you know, 10, 12, 13 years ago when you got started? Or has it become... You know, still a lovely industry to be part of, but it's much more of a job. You know, much more of a industry that's a, got a bit more of a grind to it, despite the, the the positives. Listen, I think now it feels like a business in in not a bad way, but it, in terms of the conversations that we have as an industry, um, from working obviously for a brewery itself, the conversations I have now are unlike the ones I was having. 10 years ago or even two years ago, we, the, the change has been rapid. Um, the proliferation of product into market has obviously 
sped that up a lot. You know, it's not what it was 10 years ago in terms of accessibility to market. I believe it's better, but also now you have more people in market. So you were challenged in different ways. In terms of the the fun and the, and the irreverent side of it, I think it is still there. Um, I find for me, I'm very fortunate in my role that I work in a business that although has been going for the better part of two decades, has a really passionate people around me. And I think that's what drives. I, I, I constantly say, you know, I, I'm not actually based where the brewery is. I'm based um, four hours uh, south of the brewery. So I, I travel up as often as I can, usually, you know, once or twice a month. Um, and it's like refilling my cup when I go up there because you get in and there is this excitement. There is this palpability. There's just this, call it Disneyland at times. It's just something magical about that. And I think that still exists. Definitely for anyone that's been around for, you know, a longer period, they're having conversations and they're looking at it a little differently. It's not just let's bottle up some beers and head out and, and you know, have a fun time. Now we're, we're seriously looking at it as, okay, this is a job. This is an industry. We have to make this work. Personally for me, I I reckon a lot of the transition over to that, um, I had a boss that once christened it amateur to professional was the way this industry was going to go and I feel like we're now getting to that professional stage. A lot of the early adopters, a lot of the early breweries were – people in share houses that had a dream and didn't have kids and a mortgage and could live on ramen and <laughs> paying, the, paying the rent a week late, whereas now they don't. They've got kids, they've got families, they've got mortgages, they've got businesses and they're employing people. You know, It's not a case of me and you and let's just go make this happen. There are businesses that are employing anywhere from five to you know, probably over 150 depending on the size and that comes with responsibility and that comes with corporate responsibility and business responsibility. And that's been the ever-changing shift that I've also seen over the course of the last 10 years. And the, the, I guess the mix of beer that we're drinking now has, has changed quite a bit. You know, we were talking in the bottle store, you would have seen, mm. you know, 10, 12 years ago, um, a lot of hype around American imports uh, being being brought in, or you know the Scandi imports, or the, mm-hmm. the, the the beers that we were starting to hear about on social media, but we didn't have breweries making, you know, at volume or consistently here. Mm-hmm. With with the growth in the number of breweries um, and you know the competition there, we are seeing a lot of those international styles. As, as, a, as someone who is charged with selling beer on a national level do you feel the same international competition um that that you did that you saw in store when you were a bottle shop manager from the way that we look at it we honestly um don't really put much stock into the international product coming in from a craft perspective uh post-covid the proliferation has dropped down i think just as global logistical chains have become harder and, and breweries are probably just less likely. And, and distribution is a hard business. Um, I've done it as a, a sales rep. I've been in a distributor. It is at times a thankless job because it, you are one removed from the brewery, which makes it difficult to really operate within a market that's not the the primary one for that, for that product itself. Um, so for Bright Brewery, we don't put a lot of stock into, oh, we have to worry about, you know, X and Y brewery from United States coming over more often than not, it's it's a, a momentary blip where the way that it happens now with distribution, a lot of these things come out in bulk. Um, so 30 or 40 breweries might come out once every sort of quarter and that's the way the distributor is sort of operating to help their cash flow most likely. So the bottle shop that is really interested in craft beer and wants to get all this fun Scandi beer or American beer, they're getting a big drop at one time, which might mean we have a small drop off on our retail side of things as they are getting 
a lot of new stock in that week. It doesn't really affect us overall. If anything, there's been a, a big decline in the competition from the distribution space. It's just domestic really now and that's the, the preeminent thing that we have to discuss as a team is what products we're making, how we're going to market, what's our message. It's something that we've worked on endlessly and tirelessly over the past few years as a brand that's trying to emerge a wholesale side of its business, especially after being around for 16 or so years. Mm. We're trying to write our own narrative now, I guess, is the 2023 version of Bright Brewery, not the 2006 brewery. Um, so we're not really concerned with the, the international side of things, but definitely domestically, you can probably attest to this. You probably get the releases more than the rest of us, but how many new breweries pop up every week? Now they're coming in different sizes, but... It's just a more, it's more competitors on shelf theoretically every time one opens up. Well, uh, that's the thing. Like we try and track it with the brewery radar um, that, that we publish, uh, I think, by fortnightly to just try and give a you know a realistic um, accounting for you know, not only everyone. We've got the uh, directory that says that there are I think six hundred thirty six physical breweries in the country now, not brands, mm-hmm. and then we try and uh, do the brewery radar. To show the brands that are, or the businesses that are in planning and you know active um, planning, almost as a you know a warning to people who are building their, <laughs> their, their, their you know, who are still in that spreadsheet um, phase. You know, this is it's a crowded marketplace already. It's going to become more crowded with these mm-hmm. uh, breweries. You know, if you're going to go ahead, you want to have a, a good business strategy, and that's obviously. I know that you listen to the podcast, so it's a. You'll, you'll know that that's a recurring theme. You know, not mm-hmm. don't enter the industry, but make sure you've got your ducks in a row, and it's no longer a couple of mates who love each other's homebrew deciding to, uh, you know, go it's, pro. That's true, I, and then there's, there are still opportunities, I guess, for that if you're willing to be realistic about how far that will get you and then hope maybe you catch lightning in a bottle and, and it goes further than that. My opinion is we're not going to see a slowdown. Um, there's always more people that want to open a brewery. It's a magical concept. Mm. How many times has someone sat around with a friend having a beer going, we should do this, and not really fully understanding the extent that comes from doing so or the, the, the difficulties that come um, for a range of issues. But I do think there's still room in the market for – you know, smaller, hyper local. If this is a business that you want to, you want to brew beer, but you're not looking to take over the world. That's the mindset I'm hoping starts getting adopted a little bit more. Um, I say that as a brewery that's trying to push a larger commercial space for ourselves. No, and, and we'll absolutely come to that because I, I think timing and you know ambition and brand all play into that. But you know, I, I, as, as somebody who listens to the podcast, did you catch the the the, the recent batch conversation? You know, because did, yes. that was a really illuminating one. You know, because their early story was how quickly they were growing, but their original plan was, you know, so they were well ahead of their, mm-hmm. you know, their, their, their spreadsheets. But even when they got ahead of themselves, you know, ahead of where they wanted to be, so you'd think it was a successful, you know, if, if their initial planning was good, you'd think, well, could you have just stayed there? And as they said, you know, look, we could have, but we wanted to take holidays and we wanted to yeah. be able to have children. And, you know, mm-hmm. and you sort of think, well, Again, my takeaway from that, well, you know, it's obviously the business that you'd planned was a young person's business Mm -hmm. that wasn't ultimately sustainable as a business if you want to pay yourself properly and, you know, have have lifestyle, which, um, you know, I, I... 
I, I often compare it to having a news agency where you know you see people take their superannuation payout or a redundancy payout and spend three hundred thousand dollars on a news agency and they sit there selling newspapers and lotto tickets. Um, you know, and if if they're not there doing that, some they have to pay somebody to do it. Mm-hmm. But you're basically chained to the wheel, and uh, hopefully sell it for what you paid you know at the end of yeah. your ha- yeah. having taken your sixty five seventy five thousand dollar you know salary out of it you hopefully sell it for what you bought and doing that as a brewery is a real like it's a big capital investment that you it may is. not ever get back it is and i think a couple of years ago there was more capacity to to come into market and have opportunity and, and as time has gone on Entering the market now, I can only imagine the difficulties if you're not, if you haven't got a lot of capital behind you, realistically, you are hoping that you are able to transcend other brands and find that that narrative or that that piece that the consumers really jump onto. And breweries have done that. You know, there, there are breweries that have been able to open up that haven't got deep pockets, that have just found some sort of niche that's worked really well for them and they've had that growth. It's about the understanding of how far that might be able to go and, and what your appetite is for that. I listened to your uh, beers conversation with uh, Red Hill Brewery and I found that was a great listen because the way that they approach it, they said, well, we have a good business and we have a good lifestyle and we're making good money. We could have gone and invested a few more million dollars mm. um, and they have that capacity. I mean, where they, they're only 20 minutes from my house. I know where they are. That area is great and that area probably has the – opportunity to grow more but if you're not hungry for it and you can go on holidays and you can take two weeks off and you can spend time with your kids you've got to question whether or not it's worthwhile in that sense so i really respected that i I, it was refreshing to hear someone in the industry not to say growth 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 um but it's a perspective that's really hard to have if you're not in it and i think that's what gets lost in these people coming in expectation reality aren't meeting and whether or not they're doing their due diligence into the industry and finding things out, what it's going to be like. Again, we also, I guess, tell the story of how great it is and, and that's the romanticised version of what we do. No one understands that, you know, 30 hours my week is in spreadsheets. Doesn't sound fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm not going to go to market and say, hey, how fun spreadsheets. Um, but that's realistically, you get to a certain point and that's what it needs to be. You need to be looking at, you know, percentage costs and cogs and labour division and all of these sort of acquisition um, like acquisition costs for new customers and all of these different things where that's not what you think you're getting into, but that's realistically where it's going to go. And that's an interesting thing. And it, it's something that I often try to explore is that, um, and, and my own individual approach to these conversations and to journalism is it's an industry that started behind the eight ball because you had a couple of very, very big players who left to their own devices would have just preferred selling basically the one type of beer marketed mm-hmm. eight different ways um, to, you know, to, to, to a big population, you know, at, at, by the carton. Um, and small breweries came in and there, there was that air of um, revolution mm-hmm. and self-supporting. And so people who were into craft mm-hmm. beer wanted to celebrate it. The yep. people who were making it wanted to celebrate the industry. You know, everyone joined hands and saying kumbaya um, to try and create an industry that, against all of the odds and you know and then that's where beer festivals started you know to try and get because you couldn't get on tap so it was mm-hmm. a way to build an audience to get people you know if we can't get to you you come to us and we'll yeah. showcase all of our beers you know 20 years on in australia from from that period i do start to wonder whether that kumbaya um, approach is still 
the, the best way for us to talk about the industry because, mm-hmm. again, my, my fear is that it does bring people in who love making beer at home, you know, on a weekend when they don't have to and they can go camping mm-hmm. for a weekend and not homebrew with their mates if they don't want to. And people who like drinking beer who have an image of, you know, che- cheers where you've got a band of lovable <laughs> yeah. regulars who come in and you sort of sling beers and talk to them. Um and when that's your vision of brewing, it's not um, getting called in at 2 a.m. in the morning because a condenser's gone on the fridge or, you know, 30 hours a week doing spreadsheets and, 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 and all of that other stuff and mm-hmm. the waking up in the middle of the night wondering how you're going to make payroll um, and, and all of those things that seem like cute problems. And so, so that, that's why I approach my writing and asking him these conversations the way that we do, because I think there are important conversations about the realities of this wonderful industry and this wonderful yes. product. Yeah, I, I feel incredibly fortunate to be within this industry, uh, to have had the experience I've had. It doesn't mean that there aren't uh, stresses and challenges and you know, again, I love my job. I am very fortunate that I am one of those people that gets to wake up every morning and really enjoy the job. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that there are days where I'm just like, oh, God, when's, when's today going to finish? Because, yep. you know, there are challenges. There are real challenges in terms of, you know, let's just talk about the current situation. We are battling inflation. We are battling the rise of the cost of the goods for a brewery. Our logistical costs are going up. Um, we are still you know, tackling some real market challenges in terms of accessibility. And at the same time, you've got more breweries entering the market. So what is accessible is also now being completely oversaturated. So yes, it's fine. Yes, I get to create fun beers and and ideas. We come up with crazy promos and, you know, we R&D a product and we can have a new release out in six weeks, which, you know, I talk to friends in the corporate world who just are baffled by the rapidness of how we do things. You know, I, I talk to friends of mine who work for large food groups and it takes them three years to get a single product out. And I say, I bring out 40 unique products a year. Yeah, and that's that's the easier part of my job. That's the fun part of my job. Um, so, yeah, it's just it, – it's difficult because I guess how do you translate that over to a customer uh, or, and – you don't. I don't necessarily think you want that to be the messaging to the wider market. This is hard. Um, although mm. it is, it is accurate. Personally, I think you know some of the issues that we've had as an industry have been around um, the early messaging, and I think it was just a lack of marketing understanding or what the long term implications are. You know, I, I talk about two things that I think hurt us more than anything were the use of, the use of the word uh, word boutique um, boutique beer. Uh, plagued us because it put us into an echelon for a, a beer is an everyday product. So by saying boutique, it automatically put people on their backs and said, no, 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 that's, I don't want to hear it. Did those arguments about what is craft do the same thing? Because I never got too upset about boutique because I sort of thought, well, it, it says the same thing as craft in a different way. Does craft be a marginalised product? I think for me, I mean, it's definitely a question that's been had a lot over the last few years, whether or not, and uh, whether or not you've had the conversation. But I know that I have with multiple people: is do we just drop craft? Are we just beer? Are we simply saying that this is a category and we are just more differentiating product, but of the same category? You know, there's not there, there might be, but you know, we're talking about craft wine or craft RTD. You know, this is there are producers yep. doing the same thing in theory as us, but they haven't uh, pigeonholed themselves against it. I. Don't necessarily, I don't feel the connotation with the word craft. I think it's gotten a lot better. It is a nice uh, way to position yourself outside of it. 
one of my big things, and I've probably got on my soapbox about this, uh, not on podcasts, but you know, in meetings and, and other events, I feel we've gotten a lot better at this, especially over the past five or so years. But a lot of the early marketing approach for breweries was this product's better. And if you don't drink it, you're wrong, which was a really, the amount of times I would see consumers from a retail perspective shun it because they had almost been told that they've been given a negative connotation because of it, because they should have been already been drinking it because they're not drinking it. You are, you are wrong, which if you look at the market space, I mean, we're, what 92% of the market's commercial beer. You can't tell 92% of the consumers mm. that they're drinking the wrong. It's such a bad message. And we have gotten away from that in a lot of ways, but it still sort of sticks. Um, one of those things back in the retail days of pouring a craft beer and a tasting and having a, a tradie come in and just be so apprehensive and so almost aggressively, I'm not trying that, was about breaking down their understanding of what craft beer really was. It's not about the, it, yes, it's about quality, but it's not about this sort of la-di-da, we're all better than you. Mm. I find that so much of it's driven by, this is real people. This is a small business. This is helping a community. This is These are all these things that you, as a most likely as a consumer, you're really interested in and you really align with. We just haven't messaged you that way. Yeah, like I mean, for Bright Brewery, I find it really funny because there are dyed-in-the-wool Carlton draft drinkers in Victoria that would not drink a craft beer in a pub if they were in you know their home suburb, but they will go to Bright on a holiday and the first place they will go is Bright Brewery. It's, you know, it, because they understand the message there. That, that It's a small business. It's fine. It's got that sort of little mystique. So I think that's, you know, for me, I, I find the early days we just mismessaged and we just didn't engage the consumer in a way which we brought them in. We kind of kept them at arm's length and asked them to come to us. And I don't think it was a, a mindfulness thing. I don't think we all made that decision. It was just... A lot of you know really passionate people in the early days not understanding how you gain consumer interest and understanding. And it's interesting that you say that because I had those conversations with the big brewers going back ten years. But at the same time, I think you know as I've said a number of times, revolutions have to be against something. You don't have a revolution mm-hmm. for something; it's <laughs> against the old order. Um, and what is the thing that makes us different? And craft gave us that because having seen you know breweries that the first wave of small breweries and it was called microbrewing um or boutique beer back in the 80s um they were making beers that were largely you know english ales german lagers yeah. and things like that and uh it, it didn't spark anyone's imagination the way that yeah you know hop forward beers did and uh, and then craft beer you know small traditional independent those sorts of things were the messages but that's the market that we're in now is a lot more mature um, and I think we are starting to shed some of those. Um, we are anecdotally going around. There are people that I know, whether they're friends or acquaintances, um, who are now drinking craft beer on their own. Um, you know, there is – I've got family members that I've never pushed the product on um, or they've obviously known what I do but I've never been – very staunchly you need to be drinking this you know i just didn't want to be i've let them sort of find their own path to it and then when you're years down the track and you've got family members that are in their 50s and 60s that have only drank vb and then i've had instances where they're they've got a bolter xpa to begin with and all of a sudden they've got an ipa in the fridge and it's a iba product it's it's an indie beer and you go well they found that naturally of their own accord because it's now starting to get to a point where they're accepting it themselves we're not having to 
push, 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 push. And I guess that's, you know, the benefit of mm. that early revolution now sort of getting into the, the stage of where we are as, a, as an industry as a whole. With Hottest 100 um, just around the corner, it's one of the questions that we are um, sort of kicking around because I, was, I just checked the um, book. We, we don't have the results, so don't, and I'm not sure when this <laughs> podcast is going out, um, but um, the according to the betting, the red hot favourite is yep. Better Beer. Um, so, you know, which again, last year they were very coy about talking about, you know, what is craft. And it's, it's not a trick question, but it's certainly a, a beer that if you go back 10 years, you know, certainly wasn't anyone's idea of what a craft beer should be. You know, a, a contract beer led by social media influencers mm-hmm. with a very light profile that it you know, targets tradies. Um, <laughs> but from what I hear you saying, that that's not a conversation that we should even be having. We should be embracing the interest that that creates and then realising that there's a segmented market for all beer. I think, you know, if we talk about taking away the word craft and we move to beer, uh, the IBA uh, very much is the right track in terms of presenting independent beer because that's the message. I think mm. so many consumers can buy into the understanding that this is a small business, is independent, this is Australian-owned, especially post-COVID. We're in a unique situation here where in time there has been a reinvestment, I find, I, I feel nationally in terms of consumers that they want to – reinvest back in they know what happened to small businesses so there is whether or not everyone still shops at Woolies let's not pretend like they don't but when the opportunity is to buy from a local producer they're probably a lot more willing and interested so I think that's our message there for someone like Better Beer they service a piece of the market that let's face it Bright Brewery was not going to make that product that's not in our product stream maybe we should have you know if you look at the purely commercial aspect of it but it wasn't but what it's doing is it is an independent beer brand by association of what it does. It's not owned by a multinational. It's not proliferated out by uh, tap contracts and things of this nature the same way that, you know, we are facing that with the likes of a CUB or a Lion Nathan. But what it's doing is it's at least allowing maybe that consumer that would not look at one of our products to go and try something different and then, okay, maybe I'll try this other lager or this pale ale. And that's the rabbit hole. I mean, Some consumers dive straight into sours and double IPAs, but a lot of people, and and I found this from a retail sense, and I found this from what I've been doing from a wholesale perspective in in craft beer and and, in the breweries I've worked for, you start them at the the start, you start them on lager, you start them on pale, and you build them up, and you get that interest, and it doesn't happen overnight with everyone. It might take some time, but once they allow it in and they haven't got that apprehensiveness or that I'm not going to do this, you know, it's not going to happen, stop trying to break down my walls, they'll eventually find their way to an IPA and then a double IPA and then they'll find they're all the way up to sour and then back to lagers like everyone does on the bell curve that is craft beer consuming. You, you go all the way up to the top and then you come back to, I just want an easy drinking German Pilsner, thank you. Um, but I think better beer suits that. Agreed. And I'm thinking of, you know, uh, Bright Brewery and, you know, I've been fortunate enough to sit on the deck at Bright Brewery as one of the um, – mountain uh, one of the um trail running races Mm -hmm. you know finishes 100 meters away from from the brewery's door um you know people come across and 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 you very much target that bright outdoor um Mm -hmm. you know living tourist market um as well as 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 well as your sense of community Mm -hmm. um and you know it's amazing to watch incredibly at a time when alcohol is demonized and beer particularly is seen as something that's negative, seeing people that are at the peak fitness, you know, having run 20, 30, 40 mm-hmm. Ks, 
cross the line, um, you know, get themselves together and come up and have a beer. And to me, that's wonderful. And it's a really wonderful um, part of Bright giving an experience to people. Is that the Bright brand? Like, is, is, is that being part of that Bright, outdoor, active? So... It's a big question in terms of, and it's, it, just because the time. We only ask so, the big questions here, Evan. I can, I can tell. <laughs> um, uh, I heard the Traveller podcast. I heard some big questions. Um, no, so it's a brand. It's something we've been talking about extensively, especially over the last few years, and very much uh, sort of back down to back towards that sort of, let's say, mid. 2015 to sort of 2018 period. There was a concerted effort to really push the active lifestyle component of our brand because it is very true. Uh, genuinely, our, our business is in an area that it's trail running, mountain biking, skiing, hiking, all of these things are preeminent active. Everyone's doing them. You know, As someone who doesn't live in Bright, it's been confronting for me the lack of physical effort I put into the world when my co-workers are doing a 30-kilometer 30, 30 ride before work that day or running over a mountain to get to work. What we, over the last few years, have started to realize is Bright's more than an activity. It's a place and it's for us, it's quite a special place. And we felt that we we were inclusive to a small audience, not a big audience. And we went back and we had a look at who we were as a brand and what we wanted to represent. And we're very vocal proponents of our area, of the Northeast, of Bright itself, but everything that comes with that. And we have a tagline like most breweries do, but ours is Mountain Crafted. And we really wanted to define, well, what does Mountain Crafted mean? And so much of our brand narrative and our position and our, our, our route to market has been around the – this is actually what happens in the mountains. It doesn't mean – running isn't a part of it but people go fishing people sit by the the, the river and have a beer people crochet like it, it can be anything realistically we're, we're trying to become a bit more encompassing i guess for me this narrative started to be driven during the 2020 lockdowns um in melbourne so you know a bit of context for that obviously melbourne went through you know several rolling lockouts um upon lockdown um one we pivoted our model like a lot of breweries did, but we were really quick to go to home delivery. Uh, I personally home delivered for about six months. What we thought would be a one-day-a-week one day job turned into about a seven-day-a-week, 10-hour job. It was busier than we could ever expected. One of the main things that I got, especially from the people that were buying from us at the time, was I would go and I would drop these cases off. And you know, there was always a level of excitement. And this is early COVID, so people were still probably not really understanding about what was going on. But people would come out and say, well, if I can't, if I can't be there, I want to drink this beer. And we started realizing that it wasn't that oh, I can't go for a run. It's I can't be there. I, I can't be amongst the trees. I can't be by the river. Mm. I can't have this experience. And we felt that was more of who we were. So you can go, social media is the easiest way to sort of understand it. But if you go through that, we've really tried to dive more into who we are as a community and, and what we believe in and our social impact and partnering up with things that aren't just mountain biking races or trail running. Whilst there's still a big component of what we do, we wanted to broaden that. I, I need someone in, you know, far north Queensland mm. to understand and be willing because maybe they're not a skier. Like, they don't care. Why would they want to buy this brand? And that's what I was uh, sort of coming around to because you're not Bright Brewery Sales Manager. You're National Sales and Export Manager. <laughs> I think um, the brewery started 17 years ago um, and I was lucky to visit in the very, very early days when uh, Scott and uh, you know, his, his late wife Fiona um, were there and uh, David and Julia were still 
part of mm-hmm. the business, the, the, the original four founders. It was a tiny little brewery with beautiful <laughs> uh, kettles and, um, you know, no covered outdoor area and, uh, and, and big plans. Um, yep. Actually, I don't even think when they started it was big plans. It was just they were part of that movement to have a lifestyle job, pouring beers for people passing through a beautiful part of the world. Very much. I mean, this, the story, it's, it's not mine to tell, but um, – it's very much that they moved to Bright for a lifestyle and fell in love with with beer and um, you know they wanted to. It's it's always been and still is very much about lifestyle. It's about this is this is something from a professional sense that they're really interested in and really invested in. It's it's quite fun, but in terms of the support still for the business and we have 80 plus employees mm. and um we talk about sustainability you know from multiple side of things but a lot of that is lifestyle when i started that was the first thing you know it was basically said to me is you know you're gonna you're gonna work your contracted hours if you work anymore we're gonna ask you why and we're gonna support you to not have to do that and a breath of fresh air it's, it's something that it, i don't think you experience in all the places but i can attest that you know it, when i my, my time sheet goes in if i've gone over my hours um maybe not necessarily the senior management component, but when I was, you know, just as a sort of a junior worker, I'd get a phone call and say, you know, are you all right? Like what happened? Oh, well, I had this beer festival. Okay, well, that's fair enough. We'll make sure you take a couple of hours next week. You know, there was always this component. So that's something that they've they've very much been big on since day one. Mm. Oh, and uh, again, Scott's one of those people who is very genuine in his passions um, mm-hmm. about the brand of the business. But how does that, you know, little brewery, scale you know and 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 how do you keep that mountain crafted um you know be a you know, mountain crafted people who've been to bright or people who've never been to bright how do you convey that to a national audience in queensland um as a national sales manager i'd love to have an answer for you, you could say that we've already done this we are very much in the process and that's come back to us really understanding who we are and what makes us special and drilling down on that and maybe taking away a lot of the noise. I think it's really easy as a brand to have a lot of things going on whilst, you know, we always, we, we talk quite often about we're constantly creating content because we have a lot of things happening. We are a very active brand in terms of just constantly seem to be making something happen. We try to drill down on who we are and what we're trying to express outwards and our unique position is our area. It's something that we can have that other people don't because there isn't a bright brewery version too. You know, there are other breweries in regional towns and what's special to their towns, you know, might be their sales pitch, but our sales pitch is very much about the mountains. It's about the quality of the product and where we get it from. It's about the people. And you tell that narrative, I guess, is a simple way through the packaging. So our packaging has really evolved over time. Mm. We've recently sort of gone through what I hope uh, is our final revision because it's, it's taken a few years and it's not an easy process to get where you want to get to. But that's been about defining ourselves as the mountain brand because that's what we feel we, we are. We are a mountain brand. It's, it's where we're situated and it's our story. And that's a really easy, I guess, you know, immediate connotation from looking at our packaging, um, especially on our core range. Then, you know, to extend that out for those who, who are willing or able to be interested, um, you go to our social media and we will tell a much larger story. We we invest a lot into the marketing aspect of our business because we're trying to get you to understand who we are. We have a very genuine story. This isn't manufactured in a PR agency. You know, there's this big marketing team behind it who created the brand. This is a legitimate story of people. Everything we tell is true and we're trying to hopefully connect on that sense and, 
I guess, you know, time will tell how well that goes. And there's obviously a difficulty going national, but we feel that our position is unique in terms of we, we have a story that currently, uh, I don't see any planning applications for a brewery in Bright at the moment. <laughs> Cur- currently, we, we're the only ones that can have that unique story. And, al- and also time frame. I guess, how many breweries have been around as long, which is both a blessing and a curse sometimes um, in terms of market deception, but it it does give us a little bit more credence um, in in the market just because of the time we've had. You actively keep your eye out to see if there are any other uh, breweries <laughs> looking at setting up nearby? Listen, for anyone who's listened to this that's um, ever lived in a small town or have anything to do with a small town, you'll know that word travels fast. I don't think we'd have to actively look for it. I imagine it would be on the uh, the community notice board inside of about 30 seconds of someone mentioning it. Um, nothing stays secret and bright very long, I can tell you that. What are the um, trade-offs between you know being 17 years old and having an established brand? You alluded to there being you know benefits and negatives of uh, having an established brand. So I guess, you know, to begin with, the benefits are simply infrastructure is, is typically a lot better because you've had the time to build that. Um, brand uh, awareness, especially for us being in a tourism town that's grown exponentially since Scott and Fiona um, first got um, on board and started it. The flip side of that is maybe uh, false understandings or um, sort of... <sighs> The, the what you knew Bright Brewery as in 2009 might not be what it is in 2023, but that might have been your last physical visit to the location. So it, it creates a narrative for you, which can be difficult at times when you're going to a larger, larger market. Honestly, that our largest challenge is a wholesale brand. So what we've had is uh, pretty much you know 80 or so percent of our um, operating time as a as a venue based model, as a brew pub based model with a very small amount of wholesale sales just due to the fact we didn't we couldn't produce enough product to really go to market you would see things here and there it would get to melbourne it wouldn't get to melbourne you'd have to do a deal with scott to get him to drive you know a couple of kegs of pale down to your restaurant whatever it might be now you know you launch a wholesale market whilst we have 15 or so years of consumers knowing who we are and really interested in um wanting to, you know, get involved with that product. They don't expect to see it in the wholesale market in their local town because it's never been there before. So you've got an engaged audience, but getting them to understand they can now buy it outside of the place they visited was actually much more of a challenge than we probably would have understood initially. We, we thought, and, and fairly, I think, to a degree, we have a really, long, really strong following. But that following, then getting them to understand they, could, they don't have to go and buy a six-pack of you know, whatever other brewery they're buying, they can buy Bright, Pale or Lager or whatever it is in their, you know, local independent five hours away. That's been the, the bigger challenge. So starting to build that brand narrative. It's just mm. you've, you've got such a long time frame, people not expecting to get something that when they can get it, you've almost got to, it's going to take you longer to convince them, like well, to get them to understand they can now buy it because they've trained themselves not to look for it almost. And how about export then? Because that's also a part of your your, your, your title. And I, I know that you're off to Japan um, for a trade conference fairly soon. Um, mm-hmm. And I've spoken to another brewer today that's um, sending a significant uh, you know, quantity of beer to an Asian market. How does a brewery go building a brand in a foreign market? So... Another question that we've been... We've been looking down the rabbit hole of export for a few years now and, and COVID obviously through 2020 and 2021 
created some real challenges. And even 2022, we were we'd started getting a few few markets happening, but in terms of being able to get product over, the the lead times were far greater than they were pre-pandemic. So it has still created a, a bit of a slowdown of maybe what we would have liked to have been a bit more of a speedy process. What has allowed us to do then is get hopefully a better understanding. So in terms of internally and even from a domestic perspective, under, they're creating our own narrative and really drilling down on that. So we do have a singular message. I guess the challenge when you go into an international market, you've got to decide to a degree, and it depends who your partners will be, whether you're going to be a niche craft beer brand that's going to just sell to a really engaged audience, similar to what would have been maybe here 10 years ago when a Scandinavian brewery sent their product over. You, these consumers probably already have some concept of it, or if they don't, they're going to know craft beer well enough and be involved enough in, in the industry and on the, the pages and Facebook and Instagram that mm. they're going to want to go and try it purely because it's something new and exciting they haven't had before. I guess you know, we're not really knocking on the door of let's become the biggest uh, Australian brand in these markets because you have to have expectation. Would I love that? And if that became a reality, amazing. But realistically, we're, we're starting small and we're building outwards. One of the challenges maybe we're having now is we're not a prototypical Australian brand for international audiences. You know, we're we're selling a snow-based product, so we're not selling you know the Gold Coast, uh, which far more often or the outback is the the understanding. Uh, we've joked about you know our lead product is called Alpine, and we probably can't sell that anywhere that has a real Alpine region because <laughs> they'll probably they'll probably look at our mountains and go that's a hill. Um, so. Yeah, it, it, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Honestly, the, the export side of our business is trying to find uh, new markets to, to help build it out. As I've mentioned this podcast before, earlier on, it's a lot of brands. There's a lot of players in the market currently and there are only so many consumers. So trying to find a new consumer market is, I think, just a smart commercial business decision if you can make it work. There are a lot of things that go with it. So as I said, it's not something you can just dive into. It's very easy for me to sit here in my... I don't make a living selling beer. I don't have any interest in selling beer. So I get to you know, have my little rosy glasses about how it should be. But I've always thought that you know, wine is a postcard from where the grapes are grown. And if you want to drink wine, you don't want to have to go um, to where the grapes are grown. But also wine travels a lot better than as a rule beer does too. So, you know... Should we travel for beer as opposed to us looking for really, really broad travelled markets? Uh, you know, the beer purist in me definitely says yes. Uh, ideally, we'd be able to do so. Again, there are challenges in the commercial space for breweries currently. There And there's only so much population in Australia. I think quite often there's this sort of false association with the American market. Oh, look how many they have. But there's not really the understanding we don't have the same population base and there isn't the exact ease of being in a, a small city might have more people than a large city here in terms of the American market. So we have to start looking at opportunities for the international market and, and that's about picking the right ones and picking reputable distributors and partners and brokers and finding you know, shipping channels and, cha- and 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 ways of getting it there as effectively as possible. You know, preferably we wouldn't have to have the issue of of you know things maybe sitting on a ship for too long, and, and we try and avoid that at all stages. But realistically, we we do cold chain logistics everywhere we can. We're not picking up orders for countries that are going to 
ship it on a, a hot ship and it's going to sit in a bay for three months and then it's, you know, going to go out terribly. Um, ideally, yes, we'd, we'd be able to squeeze more out of the local domestic market. But I, I think at this stage, it's only wise business to start looking at export. And also, I, I just from my perspective, I look at retail shelves uh, on, you know, locally and Maybe, as I mentioned earlier, sort of pre-COVID, there was more of them. But I get frustrated when I see a whole wall of American beers and think to myself, well, in America, there's not a whole wall of Australian beers. And our product has come a long way. We've got a great message. We're, we're leading in innovation and in, in different things. And we've got our own flavors and our own tastes. And I think it's only fair that if they're going to come here, we go there. That, that's kind of my perspective on it. Yeah, that, that's, a, that, that's an interesting one. But the, the other element that I'd want to ex- explore about, you know, again, shipping beer across a huge continent like Australia, let alone overseas, is mm. when sustainability is such a big part and you guys are so strong on sustainability, how do you square that one, you know, shipping a product that's 90% water? <laughs> it's, 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 again, it's difficult prior to have the conversation with you now uh, earlier today i was with our sustainability manager having a conversation mm. around our carbon emissions for our vehicles and our logistics and our transport and trying to make our um recording of that as efficient and as accurate as possible because there are just difficulties when it comes to you know obviously we have our own internal cars that, that do business operation but then onward from that we have third-party logistics and things of that nature mm. we we do everything we can, I guess, in the sense of trying to minimize the footprint where it sits and trying to find the right partners, trying to be efficient in what we send. So there are little things you can make where for us to ship, if the cost of shipping of product is the same, no matter how many times you do it, we'll only try and ship it once. So say if it's $100 a pallet and we can ship it every day for $100 a pallet and we can do it multiple times or we can ship, you know, say five pallets in one go, that's a smart sustainability measure we can take. From then onwards, you know, you are you're relying to work with people that are doing a similar thing. So we have partner three PLs that are always, you know, looking at what they can do and preferably there's a way to minimize the footprint, but that is a big nation. It is a difficult question. We're a regional brewery. We're we're based four hours away from Melbourne. So even just getting our product to Melbourne is going to have a footprint and that then comes back down to our business trying to find other ways that we can solve our footprint, you know, from a, a brewery standpoint or then bleed out from there and what other initiatives can we put in place and what else can we do, I guess, to try and offset, if that's the right word, what we, we have to do as a, a cost of doing business. Mate, the last question, I'm very conscious of, uh, of of time, but the last question, and actually the reason that we wanted to have a chat with you now is you've recently joined the IBA board. Um, congratulations. Thank you. Tell us a, a little bit about your thinking there. You know, it sounds like yes, we've already talked about how hard work um, brewing, just doing your day job in the brewing industry is. Tell, tell me about why you took on the added responsibility of you know, <laughs> taking on the industry's challenges as well. So, an easy way to put it, we can go back to the start of this conversation. I have been doing this is this has been my career, uh, the liquor industry, the craft beer industry, pretty predominantly, really. Like it's what I've spent my time in, and I'm not looking to leave anytime soon. And I look at my future in, you know, I'd love to retire in five years, but it's not re- it's not realistic. So, 
I've got 30 years ahead of me most likely. I don't foresee myself leaving. And I felt I was in a unique position to work towards the betterment and the future of an industry. And, you know, I've been involved with the IBA yeah, throughout my time at Bright in, in different sort of capacities. I've been sharing one of the um, the trade groups uh, for the past year and, and through that getting more understanding and more involvement. And I felt I've got, a, I've, you know, maybe a chip on my shoulder, but I've got a lot of passion in terms of what I want to see this industry become and, it's been it's been very good to me, and I've made a lot of um, great friends, and, and I've had a great job. But it, it's given me my life. It's given me so much that it feels only right for me to give back to it when I can. Um, and I guess you know, beyond that, uh, oh, there's a lot of things that you, you can't com- you can't complain about a state of an industry or an issue, and um, or how things are going. And I, I don't want to be the person that sits back and says, oh, "I don't like how this is," or we should be doing that or you know whatever it might be if you're going to if you're going to say these things i think it's on you to step up i don't want to just sit there and complain about things not going our way or whatever it might be the iba is an incredible association that is you know it's it's a difficult resource model it's it's small businesses coming together there is only a finite amount of time and uh, capabilities of this this whole industry and this board sorry the iba um to operate in and yeah, I just I felt like I could come in there and and help out and you know hopefully work for the betterment of an industry that's been so good to me. It was interesting when we were talking uh, a while ago now, but right at the start of the conversation, we were talking about the uh, the, the idea of craft and potentially being a barrier to, to to some people coming in, and you'd said that independence was the thing um, that, that that really mattered. Tell me about why that is. You know, what's your elevator pitch about independence? Oof, should give me more time to get that one prepared. Um, realistically, it goes back down to a very easy understanding I think consumers have around dollars spent and small business and understanding what what re- what we are doing, what it really is. It is people like Scott Brandon, who is my employer at Bright Brewery, who employs 80-plus individuals and gives them an incredible job and takes care of them. But that's that's one facet he gives to this community and he has created you know and and has put his time and his money and he has so much of himself on the line and he is just one person this is just one brand to help out so many other people and that's what independence is it's it's reinvesting back into these communities without going into an absolute tangent which i'm very capable of doing on the matter (laughs) just look at the taxation you know that small breweries face versus the way that CUB and Lion Nathan have been able to, you know, basically get away with the tax avoidance. I mean, realistically, how much are we putting into the economy versus what they're able to move away and they're multinational and their interest isn't domestic. It isn't about filtering their profits back into the communities that they're working within, whereas ours are and we are one brewery doing that. And there, as you said, there's, what, 630 on the registry. Now, hopefully, majority of them are doing the same thing, but they are giving back to the community. They're creating work. They're creating jobs. It's employment. It's it's all of these things. And I've heard you say on the podcast before, you know, breweries are a social – they're a social hub. They're a community hotspot. It's a, it's a place to be. It's, you know, it's something for a community to work around. And, and I just that's, – that's my, that's my level of independence. I think when consumers can understand that this is what we are and this is who we are, we're not about – this fancified product and this boutique style to go back to my, my disdain of the word boutique. Um, we are about 
small business and helping community and creating a better product, yes, and that is subjective to a degree on your taste buds. But these, these are the things that I think make independence important and that's the message that we are starting to tell, I think, a lot more effectively. Right. That's as uh, good a place as anywhere to leave it, I think. So, mate, all, all the best for your Japanese tour. Uh, all you. the best for your time as being a member of the uh, board of the IBA. And uh, you know, all the best for uh, everything at Bright Brewing. And I'm hoping, uh, I'm not going to be running uh, the, <laughs> the, the mountains, but I am hoping to hike uh, some of the mountains around Bright uh, in, in the next couple of months. So I'll definitely be uh, stopping in for a beer when I do. Please do. Evan Cranny. Thanks very much for this conversation. Thank you so much, mate. And that was Evan Cranny. If you like what we do here at Brews News, you can help us out. If you're a business that wants to reach the brewing industry or works in the brewing industry, you can sponsor the show. Or you, if you're a brewery, you can take a paid subscription. If you're a listener, you can review us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting service. Or you can just join the conversation by emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au or joining us in our Facebook group. We'll be back again this Friday with Brews News Week, diving deeply into the news of the week, and we look forward to joining you then. Mm-hmm.